don't aim for perfection but aim for learning be open to learning and to being the best of for that day and that moment and not like being perfect so let go being perfect and the third most important thing is that listening you got to really listen to your team and i think this is one skill if you if you allow me i'll put it right on top is uh, listening to the body language it's just not about what they say but how they say which matters and if you're able to fine tune that skill faster in your leadership journey you're going to be exceptional how do you get 10000 people to take a step to the left what's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion why do teams of exceptional talent fail how do you manage the pressure to perform these are the sum of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders curious minds exceptional talent successful ceos and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today is a leadership and behavioral change expert, founder of Radical Edge Learning Consultants and a Speakers Institute corporate facilitator. With over 28 years of corporate and entrepreneurial experience, her influence spans continents with her work celebrated not only in her home country of India, but across many Asian nations and the UK. Our guest is the visionary behind Jimin Yu and a certified expert in personality assessments like Hogan and Genos Emotional Intelligence. She is also a business mentor at Sherry Blair Foundation for Women and has been awarded the best trainer in APAC while working for HSBC. I have the pleasure to introduce you to a remarkable human being who loves integrating gratitude, emotions and mindfulness in you. is a great business storyteller a wonderful human and an extraordinary mother vanita chaudhari vanita welcome to the show thank you craig thank you very much for that awesome introduction i felt really good <laughs> thank you uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now i and yeah. you have I, i love your hospitality and your smile and who you are but i would love to know where did you grow up and what was the big dream when you were running around the playground Ah uh, <laughs> Okay so I actually grew up in uh, Bangalore city and then the Bangalore city was called the garden city so you can imagine Craig uh, Bangalore was filled with lush parks and as a child we were spoiled for which park should we go and play so to be very honest with you when you were a child at that age the only concern you had was who are our friends and who are we playing with um but along with you know having the choice of running around these lush green beautiful parks with actually ponds we used to have ponds with fishes and somehow that also connected me a lot i don't know if you heard this term grounding 
Um, I think it started for me from there. While we used to run, play, jump all over the place, the moment I used to come near the pond, I used to really calm down. And, um, you know, like dream really very big. And the beauty of the pond is that you have the reflection of the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can imagine that beautiful picture, right? You have this pond with water, which is a source of life. And then you have the reflection of the sky on the pond, which says that uh, things are like, are limitless. Like how sky is so limitless and no boundaries. So I think as a child, I always wanted to travel. Every time I used to look at the sky, I used to say that uh, while I grow up, all I want to do is travel uh, many, many countries. I think that was one, one um 100% dream that I had in my uh, mind. And uh, even while growing up, I think one of the dreams was always to um, touch people's lives. Maybe I didn't know the words exactly way then, uh, but I think that's so inbuilt in me. So these two big dreams for sure. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that kind of the reflection in there of the sky and the the beauty of the, the pond as well. What, what a great, great approach. Now, you're talking about going to all these gardens and playing areas and stuff. So would you have considered yourself as the leader, the person that would orchestrate going to those parks or, or were you more of a follower when you were younger? Oh, no, I was always the leader at home as well. And I think what added uh, to that as well as in, I mean, being an Indian, we had a very unique setup at home because uh, dad was working in another state, another province altogether. So dad was all alone there all the time. And uh, mom uh, was with us, me and my younger brother, while growing up. So it was a very uh, close-knit family of three, mom, younger brother, and I. And uh, I had no choice, Craig, uh, but to pick up things and lead and do and start taking decisions. It like came very automatically. While that was the beginning where it came automatically, but then I realized I am I'm definitely the person who, who wants to right be there, lead. Um, though I do follow, I do follow, uh, but that, that's again to lead as well. Mm. The, the most successful leaders are the, also the best followers. And so Absolutely. it's important to understand that, it's to know your place, um, your role in that time and where do you sit? So I think that's a, it's a great observation there as a youngster talking about your dad being in a different province, different state. How often would you get to see him? Every Christmas. And uh, sometimes uh, during our summer vacation, we would go and spend a month with him. Uh, but without doubt, uh, it was every Christmas we used to, I used to really look forward for him to come home because mm-hmm. Dad had uh, two hobbies which sort of got on to me. One is reading books. And second, uh, dad was into music. Mm-hmm. So I, when he used to come home, I used to have these conversations about books and music because mom was always busy working and taking care of us uh, because she had to do dual role of working in a school and coming and taking care of us and working. We didn't have you know, maids and cooks then, so mom had to do literally everything. So she didn't have time for conversations with us and that's one of the reasons I started writing Mm. because I wanted to get my thoughts out so I used to sit and write and believe it or not dad used to come and read my book for him to catch up what I have been through and we used to also have this very beautiful ritual of writing uh, 
letters every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday uh, afternoon after lunch, we used to write. Younger brother, mom, and I. We used to write one letter, fold it, and then um, we used to go Monday morning to the post office to. You know, that used to be our routine Beautiful. and ritual for almost till my tenth grade. So I used to really look forward to writing those. Yeah. You know, you have those moments of kind of separation in a way where you kind of feel, you know, you're apart and you crave that time for them, but you possibly had greater connection than people whose parents and kids live with each other all the time, maybe. I agree with you. And I think that's where you started started to appreciate what you have and what you don't have. And also being in the moment. So when dad used to come and spend that 10 days, Christmas, New Year with us, there was not a single day where we used to have arguments or fights. You know, it used to be all those nice days where we used to appreciate because every moment, right, it was running up. It's like, no way we're going to lose out on, you know, daddy. So let's have great conversations. Take walks in the parks. And I used to tell him, you know, what all has happened. And um, I mean, seriously, oh, you're really taking me back to those lovely moments. And it is making me even a little more emotional. But I think those were the best moments. Indeed. Your mum was a teacher or what was the subject or grade she was working with? Uh, She was actually working with the fifth grade and sixth grade and uh, she was a mathematic teacher. Hmm. So very logical, very pragmatic, very practical. (laughs) So, So yeah, growing up it was like just practical, you know, like she used to always have things which were like solutions for you. Yeah, great. And so in regards to what you do now, how much of, you know, your mum and dad have really influenced the way you um, go about the work that you do now? I mean, obviously, yes, they, they have a huge influence on how you live, but in the way that you work, you know, those lessons you learned along the way, the I, I suppose the gratitude, the appreciation, the writing, etc., how much of that influences what you do now? Quite a lot, actually, uh, Craig. Now that you're asking me, I can actually connect all the dots of what I do. Firstly, uh, one of the things I picked up from dad, and I think like even in the family, everyone tells me that you just replica of your dad. And I think one of the things is determination, never give up. So dad and I have this habit of if we decide that we got to do this or we got to get this, there's no turning back at all. We just do it. So I think um, in business, especially in the last eight years, it was tough for me to transit from corporate to being on your own because there was nobody to look up to in the family because in my family, everyone is government retired or service retired people. So here I was all alone um, and wondering, you know, how to go about it. And I think that's where I was so determined and and, and I was deciding whatever may happen. Um, no looking back. How do I focus? So I put all my energy into taking it forward, but never looking back to see what happened and why it happened. All my energy every day used to be like, how can I get this right today? Mm. How can I get this right tomorrow? I think that that 100% is daddy, without a doubt. With my mom, what I found is, and this is very unique for being a woman, Because many times I've seen, especially in a country like India, where we are so close-knit, even as a family, we all live together. um, There's always this emotional attachments and uh, a kind of a 
self sacrifice for making others happy i think what what i really learned from mom is uh, how to be um how to be detached at the same time also be attached it's a very unique thing right like you are with family you take care of them you care about them you know what's happening literally every day in their lives however not interfering too much and just be there be there for them so people know in your family that anything at all you have vanita but she will not interfere until really ask for and and so i think that that helps me a lot as a mother now having a teenage son and also uh, as a family because i keep traveling so i don't have that guilt that you know i'm traveling all the time and i'm, I'm not at home no it's not we find ways to be connected every day so i think these two things i i genuinely have picked up and it uh, helps me um, be inspired every day mm i like that you've you know young kid did you have big aspirations coming towards the end of your teenage years on what you wanted to do and and how you how you would sort of shape the world or or is that something that kind of just everything just kind of fell in to place along the way when i was a teenager yeah actually you know when i was a teenager i was part of a lot of youth groups so we used to have many many youth groups including young student movement it's called ysm and one of the things uh, you join those group is uh, they look at making you leaders inspiring leaders way back then as well and the whole idea is um not inspiring someone else <laughs> it's like constantly keeping yourself inspired so i think i'm thank god you know i really really picked up that way way younger so when i was 13 14 15 i was actually um, part of um, committees where we used to take decisions about school fet fundraising <laughs> getting sponsorship and how to talk to corporates and oh my god was like i was totally totally involved and i think that's when you picked up a lot of things saying that uh, oh there's so much more that you don't know and there's so much more to explore and i think the bug of curiosity um i picked up then that's great the bug of curiosity <laughs> beautiful <laughs> Now through your corporate career you ended up in kind of training space where you're starting to teach other people facilitate conversations what led you to you know was that kind of from your mum's influence or you know that that curiosity that you were talking about the curiosity bug uh, how did it come about when you first started sort of teaching and facilitating So actually it's a little bit um a weird journey craig actually i i should be vulnerable here and tell you that um remember i used to go on these retreats on a regular basis so even in schools uh, they used to organize uh, so i studied in a catholic school so the nuns used to organize retreats which was mandatory every year mm. you have to attend those two uh, sometimes it used to be silent retreat where you just don't talk at all or there used to be a three day retreat where you connect yourself and stuff like that during one of the retreats i i had this uh, two words which stuck with me and this is not only me realizing it it was even the director who was doing the retreat he looked at me and he said um you are such a restless soul hmm. and it 
it shook me because those were the words which were running in my mind already and i said oh my god there's somebody who's already resonating the same words looking at me so then you know what is happening inside me and i think that's where uh, this whole whole thing when i go back to my childhood it's always been that let's do it let's do it let's do it don't know how long you know how much time let's do it so i think um growing up and even starting my career i was extremely restless very restless physically and mentally and um, it took me a lot in fact only in the last uh decade i can come in a confidently tell you uh i think from 2012 so it's almost now 11 years is when i learned mindfulness ai calm myself down and uh, what you're seeing me today is a complete changed version of what i used to be um so when i started my career to be very honest with you craig i never had anything in mind so i was like this in the moment in the flow take whatever comes prove it move on take whatever comes prove it move on and i think i was also searching for what is right for me so to be very honest with you uh, i worked in hsbc for 18 years and i almost donned 15 roles You can imagine my restlessness, right? I wanted to go explore what's 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 what's. So I have done literally everything you can imagine: sales, customer service, credit, uh, operations, and a lot, lot more. I think that's where it stuck me. Especially my last stint before moving into training was operations, and it was a desk job. It was a routine job. You come in the morning till evening. You do the same thing. No change. By the time it was a year. it just got into me and that job became suicidal mm. how i couldn't see my desk <laughs> and feel happy you know as a mammoth who uh, it was really mammoth for me to like get my all positivity to start doing my job and then then i realized that desk job or a routine job is not my cup of tea and then the question came what next So while all this was happening internally inside me, and I used to have this sharing with my husband then, ah, uh, one of the constant feedback that I was getting within the organization as well is that I'm a very people person. I have this charm; I can connect to people, and this is not one two people telling. A lot of people telling me, ah, uh, and that thought said okay, and then there was an internal advertisement within HSBC that there's an opening for trainer, sales trainer. and i jumped in like i didn't even think twice i didn't even read the entire idea you know the moment i say sales and i said let's do it and and i wanted to honestly run away from operations anything could have been done honestly anything but i think it was again destiny that that opening caught my eye i applied for it and i got it and then i never looked back um it's almost now going to be two decades uh, and this is the happy space that i want to be in this is a space that i want to be in so maybe now that you are telling me maybe my mom's influence of being a teacher has maybe rubbed in but honestly that was not the reason why i took up training so this was the story you know like running away from operations restlessness yes uh, thank you for sharing do a lot of work now in emotional intelligence it's um it's kind of made famous in a way by daniel goleman a few years ago uh who wrote a great book i think it was in the either late 8 1980s or 1990s that 1995, is 1995 yeah yeah which is still 
uh, a, like a, a really powerful book. I don't think we've really seen it. It has changed and evolved since then, but the fundamentals are still there, which I think is fantastic. Uh, for you, what was it about emotional intelligence that uh, kind of lit your fire in a way and has allowed you to really incorporate that and go deep with that in the work that you do? Actually, you know, Greg, interestingly, I was completing my graduation in 1995 when that book got released in Bangalore. And we used to have a bookstore. Uh, those days, you know, there was no online. So you had to go to a bookstore to guy get books and read, you see. And this book was in such demand. And in college, one of my teacher was talking about it. He said, have you heard this new concept called... Because till then, it was all about in intelligence, like the IQ. Mm. And your jobs, your life, your every decision, everything is like IQ based, right? And in India, needless to say, parents literally drive us into education also with the same concept of IQ, 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 grades, grades, grades. So there's no part of emotion in anywhere. So I was very curious. You see this bug of curiosity. I said, oh my God, I need to get this book. And what is this everybody's been talking about? So when I went to the store for all my disappointment, there were no, there were no copies. So I had to place a, you know, uh, and pay it in complete, full in advance and, and then say, please keep this book for me. So believe it or not, 1995 is when I got that book after two months of it. And it shook me. There's somebody here telling that, hey, if you want to be successful in life, IQ alone is not enough or it's not needed. Maybe you, you need to have EQ. And then... Um, I read the book, I incorporated a few things, but to be very honest with you, um, didn't want to like take it like like a life-changing stuff for me. I was always there, back of my mind, it was in my library, started working, wanted to, you know, really uh, build a home, <laughs> uh, settle down. I was getting married then and so many important things of life that you wanted to just finish it off. But then um, in 2000, uh, I think 13, uh, is when I, uh, I don't know, 2011, actually, uh, this is after Aiden was born. And again, you know, with being a new mom, with so many hormonal changes, so many body changes, and so much of demand on you, honestly, I tell you, you can go mad. And I think that's when I was thinking, and that's when I had time in my hand to go through that book again. And I said, oh, my God, I, I love this. And thank God, you know, because I think from 1995 to 2011, there's a lot of maturity as well. You know, you also uh, learn from your mistakes. You become a little more wiser. And then you look at the same book, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then that that's said, oh, my God, this is what I love. This is what I want. And uh, by then, I was also into training and I was learning every day. So I think that's when I decided that I need to do something in this space because if it's influencing me so much, it is making me a better human. Why not take this and do it for someone else? Why not, you know, incorporate it? So that's when I actually um, got certified in uh, neuro-linguistic neuro, uh, uh, programming, which is NLP. I got certified in neuro-leadership um, and by David Rock. He's an Australian again and that book again oh my god it's called quiet leadership brilliant piece and i had the uh, privilege of meeting him and getting certified from his institute uh that changed a lot again and 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 and, and there was no looking back uh, i think that's something which comes now very naturally in all aspects of what i do in every single 
uh, training, facilitation, conversations, even in off-sites. Uh, when I sometimes do strategic off-site, I, I infuse a little bit of EI and mindfulness in some way or the other. And I think that's now become like part and parcel of what I think and do. Yeah, it was, um, I think my dad always used to say to me, uh, you don't always have to have school smarts, but you definitely need street smarts. And Absolutely. Absolutely. In a way. Leadership over time, you've seen, you know, the different companies you have not only worked in, but worked with. How are you seeing leadership changing and evolving in 2023 so thanks to technology craig i i attribute quite a bit to that is um see when i when i started the career in 1995 to be very honest line managers or the leaders i managers or leaders were were considered like almost like god because they had all the information mm-hmm. and they were like literally you know uh, having that authoritative leadership like I am me, uh, you know, take it, leave it, do what I say and blah, blah. But today, I think with technology, with information being so easy, uh, I think leaders have somewhere also realized that, hey, uh, I can't just be, you know, faffing around. I need to be in sync with what's happening. So there's a little bit of concern I see in some leaders. Um I also see a lot of change happening in the senior leadership because uh, one of the things, especially after COVID in the last five years, I've been noticing a lot of changes where leaders are aspiring to be um, heart leaders. Yeah. Because strategically, they are so good. They are so good. It just comes naturally to them to be more strategic, logical. But where they are struggling is a connection to their people, uh, holding on to people and inspiring them because one of the one of i think one of the biggest job of a leader is to inspire others and if that's not happening then i don't even think they should be qualifying as leaders because then you're just a manager doing your transactional job and getting things done so uh, summarizing it i think 100% there's there's change i have seen it um and also there is this continuous um thought process of exploring uh, what's new and uh, these days you see a lot of programs happening like the heart leadership mindful leadership emotional intelligent leadership resilient leadership i mean i personally am doing so many of these programs uh, all connected to self-awareness beginning with that and then moving on to other aspects of ei with COVID, obviously we've seen a shift in you know the way people work the, how workplaces may look uh, for some companies it probably hasn't changed too much and you know, they may have already been somewhat remote or they had you know people who are out on the road selling or in trucks or whatever it may be or flying around and then you had those who are always in the office and you have those who are maybe more manufacturing but there are certain companies that have totally changed the way work is done which which has an effect on culture and and micro cultures and it has effect on how you communicate and build relationships. What are some what are some real important skills in regards to or, or tactics in a way that people can utilize as leaders to really stay connected and and build that connection with their people 
uh, you know, you're talking about the heart leadership there. When their workforce, they may not see their workforce physically True. as yeah. much as they used to, or even at all. True. So I think, um, uh, and, and and that's a great question, Craig. I should say because I think, um, irrespective of the size of the organization. Today, I find a lot of them seeking this kind of guidance in how do I get and how do I be connected? So again, thanks to technology these days, you have so many ways of you know being connected. Uh, so one of the things that uh, during one of the uh, like conversation I was facilitating, so I was not training and teaching, I was actually facilitating. So that means I was actually picking up thoughts from the leader sitting in a room and some of the thoughts which came out from them actually inspired me. Uh, and I was actually driving the entire conversation. And few tactics, I think, which may work for predominantly all of us is one, uh, many a times we have the habit of typing a message on WhatsApp. So instead, you know, how about leaving a voice note and making it really very personal? Uh, second thing is the intention. I think it all boils down to that. If you have the intent of connecting to your staff or, you know, knowing your staff, then I think there are many methodologies that you can apply. One is having a, a call like this one on Google Meet or Zoom or any other Microsoft Teams, wherever possible, and um, ensuring that you're connected. In fact, I met a leader who told me uh, this very interesting thing that he does. So he has around uh, six people reporting into him. And uh, what he does is that he has assigned um, two days for one person. I mean, uh, two persons for one day and the rest is one one day. So it's Monday to Friday. Uh, and he connects with individually. He connects with them individually for 10 minutes. And this is just to check what's happening. Nothing to do related to work. And this is like sacrosanct. Monday to Friday. If you are fixed, like Craig is on Wednesday, then you have to come on Wednesday. Vanita is fixed for Thursday, then she comes on Thursday for 10 minutes. And it's like, no brainer, you get connected. And he says, Vanita, I have worked with this team for more than two years, but now the connect I have is where I feel I really know the team so well. And off late, I realize after starting this habit is the complaints have come down. We are so cohesively, uh, uh, you know, uh, strong uh, that as a team we are like uh, unshakable now and he says there are so many things he does. So this is one thing I loved I think I do it now with my team personally I I picked that up and I said oh my god I should do this so, um, I have a small team but still I get connected with them individually like this so there are many many ways if you have the right intent and the intent to connect and I think that's where you need to really start uh, putting your head on to where do the where do the boundaries or the lines blur when it goes from connecting with the human to becoming too personal? Like where does the boundary stop between work and social or work and friendship, et cetera? Should there be boundaries? Are the, line, are the lines really blurred? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, personally, Craig, like I told you, I picked this up from my mom. I am not too attached I'm like I'm detachedly attached. You can put it that way. But this is my this is my personal view completely. And being a leader, I have been a leader for um, a large group, 
to a project group of one person. So I've worked with different uh, groups as leaders in the past uh, 28 years. And out of that, I can tell you that 100% you need to have um, a clarity in terms of uh, connect and personal. And I think it's totally up to the individual to share what's very personal and I've never ever, you know, pushed into their boundaries. And uh, I have a very clear demarcation of friends. So I just don't call anyone my friend. Uh, I'm very clear about it. So end of the day, if my team, they're my colleagues, my peers, my team reporting into me, then I have that boundary, yes, because I, I personally don't like getting into someone else's private life. And I'm not comfortable with that until someone really wants to share and uh, are going through something. Then I become a coach. And that's, again, confidential. So um, it's good to have that boundary. Otherwise, you can be all over the place. And sometimes that can get um, murky, dirty, nasty. Mm. So you need to have that clarity in your head and the other person's head as well. But personally, no, I don't think <laughs> getting into someone's personal life is a good thing to begin with, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it, you know, when you're talking about relationship building, it's around, you know, the the deeper the relationship you have with someone, um, you know, even with clients, right? Relationship selling, you know, the more they trust you, the more they'll share. And so it's kind of that, as you're saying about blurred lines, I mean, if you if someone really starts to trust you as a leader, they're going to start sharing. And Absolutely. And that's okay. And that's okay. In fact, there have been times where I have been vulnerable. Especially, I still remember this one incident, Craig, I was um, traveling and Adrian was three years old. So you can imagine he's a three years old baby and I'm traveling for a week to a city which was very far away from Bangalore. And suddenly my mom calls me saying, Aiden has become very sick and he's not able to breathe because of severe cold. Now you can imagine my situation. I can't leave this training because this training has people who have come from various cities. And that's an expense for a client, right? And then I have my son who's very unwell and he's the most precious person in your life. So sometimes you take tough calls and I found it to be easy when you're vulnerable with your people. So when I started the session the next day morning, I was extremely vulnerable and and, and, I, and I told them that, you know, hey, uh, I have the situation where my son is very unwell and I might have to take calls because, you know, mom is trying to get a doctor's appointment and converse and stuff like that. So while I'm trying to be 100% here with you and lead you into this program, at the same time, I'm also, you know, having my own concerns. And believe it or not, the support I got from people, the support I got from people, and especially the the, the male in the, in the group, very interestingly, um, the kind of empathy that they showed was, um, I'm, I'm grateful even today. And I think that's where... Uh, I found two, three people walking up to me during lunch and tea and sharing their stories. And you're absolutely right when you said that, right? When you demonstrate, oh, people mirror it back and, and that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
I think it'd be quite confusing as a leader right now. You know, we're told to be a strategic leader. We're told to be an emotional intelligence leader. We're told to be vulnerable. We're told to be authentic. We're told to be genuine. We're told to be uh, <laughs> all sorts of things right now. And, and it could be really confusing for some leaders. For you, when you look at kind of what's been spoken about, what's kind of trending in the world of leadership and um, and even culture. Are there things that kind of stand out where you're like, let's see what happens here. Like you have a bit of caution to it. Like there might be some unintended consequences that we're not seeing here in the moment that something's been really pushed hard and, and we, and we might just need to be a little bit careful how we approach it. Um, so Craig, um, at least for the last, uh, two years, exclusively two years that I've been working with senior leaders. Uh, these are the leaders who actually drive business, um, who get revenue. So who are in charge of success for the organization. I'm talking about those kind of leaders. And you know what happens? You you are a CEO yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what all things you do to make your organization successful. So I actually work with leaders like them. And you're absolutely right. You actually nailed it by saying that they're confused. In fact, so-and-so, when I actually do emotional, intelligent leadership, the first half of the day, I can smell, breathe, experience cynicism. There's so much cynicism in the room. Um, and they look at me saying, what are you talking? Um, and then that's when I realized that uh, many of us get confused. Um being aware of your emotion is not being emotional. Mm. There are two different concepts, right? So emotional intelligent, actually, the, the foundation of EI is being self-aware. And um, so I like this framework that I sort of created personally. It's called the AAA, just like your batteries. So you need batteries, you know, to be charged and working all the time. So the AAA stands for awareness, acknowledge, and act. So firstly, be aware. For example, any emotions, anything that you're going through, and that's okay. You're angry, you're upset, you're unhappy, you're feeling disrespectful, you're concerned, uh, you're cynical, and that's okay. The beauty is acknowledging it, and then you have a choice of doing what you have to do. So as leaders, one of the questions that many, many people ask me all the time is, isn't being vulnerable, opening your heart and allowing people to come and, you know, stamp you and trample you and take you for granted? This is one question I get a lot from leaders. They look at me and they ask me. And that's where I look back to tell them that, hey, it's always a choice. And vulnerable is not like literally opening your heart and allowing everyone. And you got to be a smart leader. And um, like you rightly use the word situational leader. I think the whole idea is uh, trusting. And trust comes from when you are open and acknowledge what's happening with you and the team. So with the technology coming in and with remoteness setting in, um, and now I think literally everything is going to be on the cloud. Um, another 10 years, I don't even think we will be having offices or even uh, banks having branches. Everything is going to be in the cloud. Um, you can imagine the kind of distances humans are going to have. 
And uh, for that, you need to be really very prepared. And that's why you will see empathy as a skill being one of the top 10 skills that you need at, at workplace or a job. You need to build the skill of being empathetic. Okay, interesting. I like that. It's good. It's, you know, interesting for me. I, I see some things that are being pushed um, kind of as this is the best practice or this is what you need. Um, but I think without some context sometimes. So being, uh, and, I, and I've been working a little bit on this recently and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. Um, I believe that integrity and responsibility are the filters for vulnerability and authenticity. Absolutely. Because, and, and I don't think, I don't think you can be 100% authentic all the time. And I don't think you can And be that's what I said. You've got to be smart, like you rightly said, yeah. right? You need to understand. And again, uh, being vulnerable, being emotional is not uh, letting all your emotions out like, uh, like a therapy. That's not the place to mm -hmm. be in. You know, there's a place for that. You can always have a therapist or a counselor. But when you're dealing with teams and stuff, there's a fine line between being vulnerable. Like I've seen sometimes leaders uh, cry and having that full emotional meltdown and breakdown. Um, that's where I realized that self-awareness is very low. Because when you're self-aware, you also know what exactly you need to do. It calms you down. It pauses you. It pauses you, literally. And then you know when you're acknowledging what exactly you need to do. And trust me, Craig, all this takes less than 10 seconds if you practice. Yeah. It's just the way of life. Aware, acknowledge, act. And you do that all the time. So question then, if we, uh, can we get to, can, can self-awareness actually get in the way for us? Like if we are so highly self-aware of ourselves, could that actually uh, slow us down? Could that prevent us from being totally present with someone else when we are highly self-aware? So I'm wondering if we can take it too far. Interestingly, Craig, it's the other way around. Um, leaders with high self-awareness are the people with absolute mindfulness being present in the moment. Like I said, self-aware is like, it just happens. You don't put extra effort. Like talking to you right now, I know exactly what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling, and uh, what should I get to be in this moment with you 100%. So self-awareness, I would call it like an arsenal for your success, both in professional and personal life. If if some people are self-aware, though, and they don't use it in a way, so say they become very fixated on the awareness, right? So that's, and that's when you talk about your AAA, right? So the, do you want to explain that a little bit more? Because if if you just use awareness on its own, that may not serve you. That's true. So I'll give you a simple example. Um, this happened actually uh, last week where we were trying something new using technology and uh, delivery. 
I knew in my heart that this is not going to work. And I put this across to the client as well, explaining what could go wrong and south side. But the client was very adamant. And uh, when we started, things did go southward. Now, you are a facilitator. You are here, you know, telling, inspiring people. <laughs> and at the same time, you're aware that things are not going. So believe it or not, that few hours of that day, I have done more than uh, countless, but I think I guess around 60 times self-check-in. Mm. And that made me feel so grounded. And that's why I said, it's as you keep, so I've been practicing now self-awareness for more than 11 years. So it comes very naturally. I have a feeling. I quickly acknowledge it and I let it be. And then I have a choice of what to do. Um, and having a teenage son at home, I can tell you, you are actually practicing self-awareness literally every other second. <laughs> so <laughs> actually what happens is, uh, Craig, when you are highly self-aware, you learn the technique of not reacting, but responding. Mm, That's very powerful. Very, very, especially being a leader. Being a leader, you've got to really learn this tactic and skill of responding and not reacting. And that's why I said self-awareness is like that arsenal, the ammunition that you have. Oh, it's very powerful. What are some signs that people can be aware of uh, when they might be going into a reactive mode rather than a responsive mode? Um, I can quickly tell you a few things. One is their own body language. You can see it's highly charged and humming. And this is one of the things that we also, you know, in emotional intelligence coaching that we do, one of the powerful questions we ask is, where in your body are you feeling this, whatever feeling? And that question alone calms you down. Like, for example, when I get very uh, upset, um, clueless, I'm all over the place. I get severe pain between these two things. Severe pain. Like I feel somebody's like literally hammering me. And because I started being aware of that, what happened was, you know, uh, every time I was getting into it, I like, okay. So, but a lot of people I see charged, charged up uh, body language, um, heavy usage of hand, um, the pace of the words just getting more. And uh, the tone and the pitch being very sharp. Sometimes it, it can even look like they are very rude. So a lot of triggers and things that you can make out that people are not being self-aware and they're not accepting what they're feeling. But I think as leaders, that's where you know that you're reacting like a nasty email immediately. You get a mail, you reply without even thinking, taking that pause. Uh, that could be one of the triggers for reaction. Interrupting people, not allowing them to complete what they want to say condescending, so many things that you can see that when they are reactive. Mm. In fact, one hand moment I've seen is this, like literally, um, you know, pushing your hand onto someone's face or somebody saying stop. That That's very, again, powerful in reacting. <laughs> uh, we get a lot of people and look, it's, I think companies are getting better at this, but we still see a lot of people who become very specialists, become very good technicians in a way. They're great at their craft. They're good at what they do. Then they get a tap on the shoulder and said, uh, by the way, tomorrow you're leading a team. You're now becoming a people manager. And, and they don't give them any training. They just kind of let them go. 
for someone who kind of comes into that situation where they're stepping into a you know a management or leadership role really for the first time what would be you know say three key tips for them to get themselves grounded quickly and not be overwhelmed by the situation wow that's a very powerful question <laughs> um i think the first uh, tip is that it's no more you it's no more you it's actually a team so it's number of people looking up to you so i think that quick mindset that uh, it's just not me and i'm actually leading a team and also uh, adding to that first point itself is the art of letting go a lot of us as humans and since we are like you rightly said technicians experts uh, we've been the high performers in that particular area and that's how i got um, designation or a, a promotion to become a leader i still hold on to what i'm very very good at i don't want to let that go and that hinders because when you're moving from one role to another and there's this brilliant book by ram charan uh, called leadership pipeline i think that's the bible for all the new managers is how when you move from one role to another you need to let go of certain skill attitude and behaviors and move on to learning um other attribute skills and behaviors that's going to help you so one is uh, the first tip is the art of letting go what you're good at and picking up a skill that you need to be a leader second is it is okay to make mistakes um a lot of people especially the high performers they have this perfection glued on to them so they they just want to be perfect and they don't realize that being an individual contributor and doing your best is entirely different ball game to being a leader so in the journey you will make mistakes because you're dealing with different people and different people have different way of connecting so as leaders even after so many years of being in a leadership position craig i tell you confidently i still make mistakes mm, good and that's okay it's it's a journey that you learn to become so don't aim for perfection but aim for learning be open to learning uh, to being the best of for that day and that moment and not like being perfect so let go being perfect and the third most important thing is that listening you got to really listen to your team i i think this is one skill if you if you allow me i'll put it right on top is uh, listening to the body language it's just not about what they say but how they say which matters and if you're able to fine tune that skill faster in your leadership journey you're going to be exceptional great advice we we started off talking a lot about your upbringing and the influence on you you've got a 17 year old son adrian uh what would be the one piece of advice that you'd love to share with him that you wish you had known as a 17 year old uh <laughs> can i say two things because that's what i keep telling him every day it uh, craig it's like a mantra for him two things i always say have a kind word on your tongue always have a kind word for yourself and others um the second thing i tell him that make learning a joy learn for the joy of learning don't learn for the grades or to prove to someone or you learn out of joy and i think these two things i would 100% tell every child one is have always have a kind word for yourself and others and secondly uh 
Learning is joy. Hmm. It's fun. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. Absolutely. When was the last time you did something for the first time? <laughs> I'm actually doing it right now as we speak, uh, Craig. I'm uh, learning to swim. Wow. And you might wonder why is that such a big deal is because I was drowned in the sea when I was in 10th grade. So I have a phobia with water. I'm slowly overcoming uh, that. And it is really a huge task for me personally. But I'm very adamant and determined that I need to do this for the first time is go swim. Overcome your fear. And uh, next year for my birthday, when I turn 50, I actually want to go to um, underwater diving or scuba yeah. diving. Yeah, that's that, That's the aim. And for that, I'm slowly now learning. So on weekends, I have started for the first time um, to swim. Very good. It's never, it's never too late. Never, never too late. late. I agree with you. Never too late. <laughs> what is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a very, very tough one. Um. One question that I would love to solve. Uh, I think uh, one question which keeps coming in my head is, uh, what is so difficult to be in the moment? What makes a human not being present in the moment and how difficult is that? I think that question keeps coming because every time I travel to the airport or I keep, even in the aircraft, I see so many restless people are not being present in the moment. Um, and I keep wondering what would make, um, you know, people to enjoy and be in this moment. And I really would like to solve that question. Very good. For you, what is an inspiring great leader? And who is a great example of this uh, for you? So, Craig, there are many, many leaders whom I follow, like I, I I, said, and my mom and dad, they personally have, especially my mom has been always the leader. But I think one person that I am going to talk about today is uh, Mother Teresa. So many people know her as a spiritual nun and uh, compassionate person, but many, many, many don't look at her as a leader. So when I, I had the uh, privilege of uh, knowing her, in my school days, and uh, I used to work for her missionaries in, in Bangalore. One of the things about her, she is, an, she is a leader with grace and grit. You will see a lot of compassion in her. At the same time, she has this tremendous courage mm. to get what is essential uh, for the home so people are taken care. And I'm sure if you've read a biography or you know, there is so many incidents in her life which tells uh, what a beautiful leader. And I think it's very rare you find this combination of grace and grit, compassion and courage. And for me, she's an epitome of that. And very inspiring, very inspiring. And that's where I think, like you rightly said, right? You, 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 you become a leader with a heart and a head. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to choose between. You need to be having both. 
you need to 100% have both. And I think that's where I picked that uh, from her. Grace and grit and compassion and courage. I will, they're going to stick with me. It's been wonderful speaking with you today, Vanita. I've learned a lot more about you than what I have over the last couple of years. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? The best way to connect people with me is come and attend our retreat. Um, so, you know, Craig, um, the emotional intelligence, what I really believe in and I really walk the talk is now uh, transcended into my third company, which is called uh, Hi-Fi Retreat, and where we are actually talking about gut healing. And the part I play in the retreat is I help you heal your gut with your feelings. So my entire focus, so the retreat focuses on uh, gut healing using mind, body, and spirit. And I take care of the healing part because I don't know, many people may know this. It's called the emotional eating. Like either way, when you're too happy or too uh, upset, we end up eating a lot of our favorite food and sometimes junk food, and that really hurts your gut. So the best way to connect with me and know what I do with emotions is um, logging into our website and exploring our uh, retreats and also logging to our Insta because that's where we give a lot of tips that can help you um, be connected and being mindful. So please, yes, do, do connect with us and to know what we do more. I think emotional eating has added about five kgs to my waistline over the last few months <laughs> as I tried to manage uh, a big workload of uh, business and uh, looking after the baby as well. But uh... <laughs> And that's what happened. And many people don't realize it. In fact, one of the things which is a useless emotion in life is guilt. Mm. Absolutely useless. But that literally eats into you like anything yeah. and that's exactly what i talk about and help heal our people is to come out of their guilt and shamefulness to feeling a lot better to take care of your gut it's a beautiful um, experiment that's come out uh, fantastic so i'm really very um, excited to share this new learning of connecting your gut feelings to heal yourself Benita, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today uh, I love the insights around, you know, learning about your your childhood where your dad was away, but the way that you connected with him through writing a letter each week and also that opportunity to read and for him to, to read your writing, to your mum being a teacher and the role she played, to now how you have spent, you know, your career trying to figure things out to then find a space where you can now really help people find themselves, find more peace, find better performance and, you know, more effective ways of doing things. It's really quite encouraging and it's lovely to continue to see the great work that you do. And so for everyone out there, make sure you uh, reach out, connect with Fanita and uh, enjoy. Obviously, I hope you've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So Fanita, thank you for being an amazing human being. I love your smile and for being an inspiring, great leader. So thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you for this opportunity. I am grateful to know you in my life. You are inspiring too. And uh, thank you for this, this opportunity. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn 
and be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.